the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the news, trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Hello and welcome to another episode from our Application Platform Talks podcast series. This is where we chat to experts involved with runtimes to talk about topics that falls into their areas of expertise and interest. Um, I have a fellow collaborator on this, and that is Tobias Leicher from Germany. So, Toby, <laughs> we meet again. As, yeah, finally. As always, <laughs> yes, finally, as always a pleasure. Now, today, we're going to talk to Catherine Moxie from the Hursley Lab, who is going to give us some thoughts and some insight into how she's working with bringing AI onto IBM Z and how that may bring benefits to uh, developers developing applications for mainframes. So, Catherine, thank you for giving us time today. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you for inviting me. So I should do just a little bit of housekeeping first. Uh, this recording will be made available at ibm.biz forward slash said podcasts. You will also find many more podcasts uh, related to IBM Z in that repository. So to kick off, Catherine, before we go into the challenges that you're facing trying to bring AI to the mainframe, let's hear a little bit about you, the Catherine, the, the developer, and how you became involved with mainframe computers. Yeah, okay. So I actually um, joined IBM way back in 1989. I was an experienced hire because I'd previously been at Digital Equipment. But I was lucky enough to be um, hired into the KICS organization. And I, in my sort of early years, I worked a lot on KICS file control, doing things like shared data tables, RLS, file control recovery, moving on to coupling facility data tables. And actually that latter piece, looking at coupling facility, led me into an assignment. So I spent some years over in Poughkeepsie working on uh, ZOS, which was then actually OS390 at that time, and particularly parallel Sysplex. So actually when I came back from that assignment, I came back into the Kicks team, but I did spend some years after that working in sort of some the web sphere area, looking at web services, technologies, um, UGDI registry, and some other technologies like that. Um, but then I had the opportunity, um, actually way back in 2005, to come back to what I say is my first love. So come back to Kicks, uh, and generally um, IBM Z mainframe. Um, and and I guess that was around Kicks transaction server 3.2 era just coming out around then that's a that's a good guess yes <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> it certainly was the latter whether it was the former i don't know i yeah i i i, I could well believe it uh, i do know that some of the things i worked on when i so when i came back at that stage were the um adding dynamic library resources to kicks um, but I don't now remember which release that was. And also then I got very much involved with um, event processing support, which actually was probably the beginnings of getting involved in where I'm working now, um, because that was um, understanding how people can use event processing to sort of improve their, their business outcomes, if you like, drive events out of their Kix applications without having to change the applications, which is you know, quite quite an advantage, but then using those events to um, either you know drive dashboards to view what's happening or to send them to other 
other processing to make um, you know, get better information about what's happening within the business processes that the applications are running. Uh, and that, that also actually gave me the chance to be involved in some external organisations that looked at event processing, um, like the um, Distributed Event Based Systems, which was a combination of academic and commercial organisations working together. I, I've had a number of other roles in KICS since then. Um, I spent some time being quite involved around the um, looking at how we improve the performance. Um, it's obviously a highlight uh, of KICS and IBM Z is the performance that it gives and the scalability. So this was saying, can we sort of capitalise on that to do even more better performance uh, and also you know take advantage of what's coming in the new, or always coming in all of the new Z IBM Z machines, and, and also some some focus around analytics, which again grew out of the event processing and is getting into the world of you know, analytics and AI. But I did, um, although I spent uh, a number of years looking at that, my sort of most recent prior to my current role was looking at developer experience and DevOps and how we can make what developers do on the IBM Z systems and in kicks uh, more natural for developers who may have come from other backgrounds from sort of distributed environments and try and bring the sort of the tools that they use like maven and gradle to developing applications for kicks and being able to plug things into devops pipelines so that's a you know certainly a very interesting area uh, i think we've got a, a big focus across the platform on making sure that it's not um, everything's special and different but is you know you can do things in the way you're used to on other environments as well which is relevant to what i'm doing now yeah i, I found it was a very good actually a very good bridge already because now you kind of do it a little bit the other way around so so people now that work on z should feel it very normal to interact with this ai stuff that uh, they not usually work with so so make it make it accessible to them so 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 what is this this ai thing and uh, we already had christian jacoby talking a little bit about a chip that we now can finally say uh, actually was used in a system what a surprise for most people in the world and so 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 how how do we make that work and how how is your part in that to actually make it accessible and and usable for most people Right, so this grew out of, I think, the fact that for quite some time, um, you know, generations of IBM Z machines have been looking to optimize analytics and AI processing. And that's because that's where a lot of the data and transactions are. So it makes sense to be um, doing that AI processing on the data where the transactions live. But there's my current role was really came about partly because just generally we want to help people to be able to use AI as in, to improve their business results, business outcomes, make more timely decisions and and use AI to do that. Uh, we've got already a lot of focus around how people can use AI to um, improve the operations of their systems and get more efficient. Uh, that's the sort of space that gets called AI ops, but a big focus there. But actually bringing the AI to people's business and allowing them to incorporate it into their applications so they get that you know, they can get decisions in real time as the transactions are running. That's something that um, we really want to to focus on. And I got involved in that really for the Z app, IBM Z application platform. 
so not just not just in kicks but the wider scope looking at the runtimes that um, host applications on IBM Z so I've been working with um, people in IMS and Web on Z, ZTPF and so on to to bring that sort of try and bring a perspective that shows that actually you know this is something that wherever you happen to have your applications and, and your where your applications run you know you can still take advantage of these capabilities so that's sort of the general concept of being able to take advantage of AI as part of transactions. But then there is that more specific thing of the, the Telem chip introduces the um, integrated accelerator for AI. And that does help to accelerate those types of deep learning um, AI models that really can give you the useful insight. So that's my focus is really on helping clients to take advantage of, of that, of, of using AI, driving it out of their applications, and also uh, taking advantage of the um, that on-chip acceleration. I think just um, you know, coming back around to the that focus on sort of developer experience and making development on IBM Z the same as elsewhere, similarly with bringing AI to IBM Z, there's certainly the concept that the people who develop those clever AI models, the data scientists and so on, they'll be able to do that in the ways they're used to doing. But then when you come to deploy the models, if you deploy them onto IBM Z as part of the transactions, then you get you know, much more benefit from you know, just, for example, um, what um, happens quite a lot currently is that the, 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 um, the data is sent to the plat a different platform where the AI processing will run. And that's obviously not going to be as near to the real time and not going to be allowing you to actually easily incorporate the results of that AI prediction into what you're doing as part of the current transaction. And that's a, co a combination of being able to include it in the transaction and being able to do it in the transaction in a way that's got you know, reduced latency and doesn't impact that transaction and, over. And I think Catherine, that's a very good point. Is it's not just the, the reduced latency, but it's also the programming model, isn't it? So so when you finally have a more natural way as a COBOL application, because you said before you, you send it somewhere else, so you had to call a web service and you basically lost control over your uh, of the of the request itself, when you now can actually do it a little more native like in kicks we used to link programs for quite a long time now so 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 it becomes a little bit more natural to the to the developers i could imagine and it is not this alien that i have to call somewhere else and that now is out of my control is that also a factor for you yes uh, it's what's interesting is there are actually um several options available to people in terms of how they can drive the AR models and also where they choose to deploy them. And that's one of the one of the things we're looking to do is to help articulate those possibilities for people and you know, give them guidance on how to how to make use of them. But in, in terms of where that brings benefit to people is um, if you think about some of the things you might not be able to do now that you could do if you chose to. You know, incorporate the AI models into your transactions. You know, you could, for example, find out whether there's the find out the creditworthiness for someone without having to make calls off platform to discover that. You could make assessment of, of loan approvals um, and get a 
quicker response back to the customer because you're doing that out of your IMS application. A lot of new things that people should be able to do when they start looking at looking at incorporating AI. I, I guess one of the other things that is worth worth noting is that the, the there are a number of existing ways of doing this which will still work and unchanged but take advantage of the on-chip acceleration. So the the ways that people can currently drive AI out of their transactions and that ranges from you know with kicks you can use the exec kicks link to drive a scoring program that's hosted in Watson Machine Learning for COS with we take another example, IMS, um, actually you could take advantage of Operational Decision Manager, ODM, and if you're already using ODM rules out of something like IMS or Kicks, then you can actually just extend the rule using the rule editors and so on to incorporate models that are again hosted in Watson Machine Learning, and then that, that enhanced prediction can improve the results and the answers you get back from your rules. Um, or you can make you know, REST API calls to models hosted potentially even in sort of ZCX, which is you know, has an optimized interface for driving those models. Or you might have models hosted on Linux on Z. So lo lots of options available to people. And I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to help people take advantage of those and start to see how beneficial it can be to include those better sort of decisions as part of your applications. And, and just, just to, to make that point a little more clear here, we, we said we have this, ex, this AI accelerator and we have the, the tools to actually make the, the models available. So, so, so how is that actually, because I think we have some people that live in the bits and bytes and control blocks. So how is that actually going to happen? How do we actually then use this, this enhanced facility on this chip with our applications? Do we need to do any changes? Do we need to code assembler codes and mnemonics for, for this new new thing? And how, how do we do that actually, Catherine? Okay, so in terms of do you have to make any changes, if you're already you know, using AI in something like Watson Machine Learning, or you're already you know, driving rules in ODM and, and you want to extend those or you do extend them, then you don't need to make changes. If you're, if you're introducing you know, if you're doing this the, for the first time, then you obviously would make changes to the application, but that's just changes that would invoke the model and look at the results. But you don't need to worry about the details of how that gets to the accelerator. That's all handled for you. So to take an example that um, your data scientists have been able to develop a model for you that will predict the creditworthiness of someone based on some information that comes from the transaction and potentially from, from elsewhere. And that model then could be could use the Onyx format, which is Open Neural Network Exchange format, which is a format that can take models developed in you know, really whatever your data scientist's favorite way of building and training models is. Um, and then IBM provides a deep learning compiler that can take the Onyx format and compile that and that deep learning compiler output will take advantage of the library that IBM Z provides and that's that library really that has the the um, the, the cunning bits in it that ensure that when the um, types of processing arrive that are accelerated by the accelerator that they will then be directed to the accelerator but because it's part of, you know because that accelerator is on the on the chip 
then you know, the other processing that needs to drive it is local to it on that same processor. Hmm. So that's um, did that answer your question, Toby? Yeah, I think so. So, so when I just just sum it up for for someone that's not into the details, it's basically we we have a little compiler thingy that generates something natively callable out of this model, and that takes care of all the calls into the into the AI accelerator. Is it so? So we don't actually need to do anything but but let the compiler do its work and use it the same as we used programming languages before. Now, just the input is an AI model instead of a programming language. Is it? Very well put. Thank you, Toby. Yeah, I, th- I think, I, and I think that is that is probably key because, as you said, it is always about consumability, like it was with Java on Z when people f- got rid of this idea that they had to code Java in thirty to seventy without code completion, and they just realized it's the same as everywhere else. I think it could also make a difference for the two days COBOL developers that always think like, "Oh no, this AI thing—it's so complicated, and I have to call so many people, and I'm not controlling what they do, and then they take ages to respond, and I can't do that in my transaction." So I, I, I really feel this is this is beside the technical brilliance of the chip that uh, CJ already explained in our in our previous previous talks it is it is very much this consumability bit that you talk about today that will make this a more interesting alternative than we used to have before so thank you a lot okay Cool. And now I think we, we talked a little bit about your, your, your past. We talked a little bit about what you do in, in, in this new new piece of work here in, in this um, in this AI accelerator for IBM Z. But is there is there something else? I mean, I could imagine because we, we rarely talk to people about about this. What, what is the, the life as a, as a developer within IBM? Because I think that you are also in a in a position we call STSM so a senior technical staff member um not many people out of IBM would probably know something of it but it's like the <laughs> third highest ranking you can have in IBM there's there's still a fellow and there is still a distinguished engineer to make so some more opportunities to go Catherine but but what but I think even though as an STSM I mean the third highest rank in a in a worldwide IT company is already very important so so what is it you you do Besides the actual development of the stuff you you just you just talked about, yeah, thank thank you for asking about that actually, Toby, because it is um, some of those other areas are also um, very important to me. So I get involved a lot in things like trying to drive technical vitality and particularly help our technical talent to grow and have the opportunities to to advance. So I do a lot of mentoring and I work a lot in. They're looking at how we're going to make opportunities available to people to help them you know, grow their grow their careers and also grow their technical knowledge and their technical capabilities. And I also my I've always had the opportunity to work a lot with our customers. And, and that's wonderful because I get to know you there who work with IBM Z, um, work with our runtime products on IBM Z. And that's always really a pleasure, whether it's, you know, there's some problem that you need some help with. Hopefully we can get you through those situations quickly or whether it's talking to you about new capabilities and helping you to take advantage of them. Those are things that I I do enjoy a lot. So, Catherine, I, I, I've got to interject there. I know that you were on a, a roadshow in America <laughs> when a certain volcano in Iceland <laughs> exploded. And you were marooned out in uh, a hotel out in, uh, I think it was Chicago, yes. actually. Uh, so 
you say it's always a pleasure and I understand completely what you mean by that but you've had some arduous <laughs> moments as well yes that that was interesting um that actually did um turn into um a chance to meet another of our customers who is based in where where we were stranded um but yeah <laughs> I, I suppose if I'm entirely honest it's it's definitely the meeting the people when you get there rather than the traveling bit that I enjoy <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I guess generally also looking at, you know, just um, innovation and invention and encouraging people in that space is, is also um, something that I enjoy. That sounds brilliant. I think uh, as we try to make this uh, consumable when people have to commute, which I think slowly now is actually a thing again, <laughs> we, we we plan to have it at the at the time of twenty twenty minutes. So so we're already at the end of our time. It was uh, it flew by, I must say. So thank you a lot for for for, for all this 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 information, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. That was really interesting as well. It was quite a journey from the uh, fax operating system to ZOS uh, via rural Hursley and downtown Poughkeepsie, I guess. Yeah, well, thank you. No, I've, I've, I've enjoyed talking with you. Um, um, thank you very much for, for asking me. OK, thanks, Catherine. I should just finish off here with there are more IBM Z podcasts ranging from DevOps, uh, application development, and of course, application platforms, this series. So please check out ibm.biz forward slash podcasts. So from Nick and Toby, it's goodbye. And hear you next time, hopefully. <laughs> and, see and see you on our next podcast. Bye. So thank you. Bye.